Welcome to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. In this segment, we're focusing on two facets of the learning journey, the first being knowledge translation and the second, quality improvement. Knowledge translation focuses on moving research and evidence into the hands of people and systems who can put it to use. And quality improvement focuses on that system of care. Both share the goal of better patient outcomes, but are these disruptive learning changes for healthcare professionals? I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and with me today is Dr. Robert Birnbaum, who's here to share his insights into how knowledge translation and quality improvement impact learning. He is Director of Continuing Professional Development and Implementation Science at Partners Healthcare and Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. The opinions of Dr. Birnbaum are his own and not those of Partners Healthcare or Harvard Medical School. Welcome, Bob. We are glad you can join us. Well, thank you, Alicia, for having me here today. So let's start with knowledge translation. It may actually be a relatively new term that's used to describe perhaps a relatively old problem, that being the underutilization of evidence-based research and systems of care. Can you expand on this for us and let us have a better insight into knowledge translation? Sure. You know, the problem is, as you stated, that it takes a long time. It's actually studies have been done that suggest as long as 15 or 17 years for a clinically impactful discovery to actually get into the hands of healthcare providers and be applied in clinical practice. And actually, most discoveries, and it seems as the majority, 60%, uh, don't even make that journey. So, so the barriers that are involved in actually getting what we could do to improve care across the spectrum from public health concerns to the most uh, advanced uh, aspects of science is very, very important in terms of optimizing what patients can get in terms of their health care. That's interesting. You mentioned barriers. You know, you are a physician yourself practicing, and, and you're very involved, of course, in knowledge translation in the work environment. What are those barriers? Why are we not having people adopt it so much, and, and why is it so disruptive? Well, there, there's a plethora of barriers. There are a lot of barriers. I think a barrier that's probably very relevant to the series for the healthcare providers that are your listeners um, are barriers that have to do with very, very busy practices, uh, a enormous amount of information to synthesize, uh, and the kinds of uh, changes that are going on, sometimes even called change fatigue uh, for healthcare providers. So how do they sift through all of that? How do they uh, prioritize it? Uh, and how do they do that given all of the constraints that most healthcare providers are operating under today? You know, the change fatigue that you mentioned, I think, is something that can hit any education enterprise as well in terms of figuring out the best way to develop, implement, and measure education. Are you seeing a lot of change on the education side? So the reason that uh, Partners Healthcare, which is you know one of the largest healthcare delivery systems in the United States, decided to centralize its education efforts under uh, my office, the Continuing Professional Development Office, uh, was to try to look at how to address uh, these barriers. So, so the way we frame this uh, is the way that Dave Davis, who's somebody who works for the American Association of Medical Colleges and leads their CPD effort, uh, likes to frame which is to uh, get providers to understand that we are not doing an add-on. This is not an additional educational burden for them, but this is really working on their work. It's really resonating and should resonate with why they went into healthcare in the first place. And so, for example, one of the things that we're aggressively pursuing here is harmonizing or bundling the requirements of healthcare providers. They have to go through 
re-credentialing. They have to go through renewal of their board certification. They have to go through, uh, if they're at a hospital, uh, joint commission visits and OPPE. And so if we can identify clinically meaningful interventions for education and quality improvement, and those would count toward two, three, four of their duplicative requirements. That's a, that's a big value proposition, and that's something uh, that a lot of clinicians can understand on a day-to-day basis, and they aspire to. I can imagine they do aspire. Those who are in smaller institutions, though, might have a little more difficulty or private practices where they're not in a system that a QI department is kind of overseeing that. What advice do you have for them? Absolutely. I I think that what's happening now uh, is uh, better tools uh, for providers that are, are in more rural practice environments or are in uh, individual practice. The uh, term that sometimes has been given to this sort of evolution of healthcare by people like Clay Christensen, who looks at uh, disruptive innovation, uh, is a facilitated network. And so uh, if you look at uh, the adoption rate now for electronic medical record systems and the price barriers have come down rather dramatically uh, for practices, and if you look at some of the social sharing that is starting to go on between providers. Uh, Canada is one of the places that sort of led the way for this. Uh, You start to understand that uh, you don't necessarily have to operate alone, uh, and there are resources that are starting to come along that are available to people even if they aren't in a, a large integrated healthcare delivery system. It sounds like knowledge translation directly relates to quality improvement, which is kind of our second topic on here that dovetails right into it. Um, Do you define quality improvement in a way that's different from knowledge translation? They go hand in hand. Um, Quality improvement is really identifying in a meaningful way for the practicing clinician where gaps in practice. I mean, what is it that if you sit someone down, you say, look, you see uh, an individual with condition X, Y, or Z, and you see many of those individuals on a day-to-day basis, if you take a step back for a moment and reflect, which is a necessary component uh, to putting together an educational intervention, uh, what would you like to do better? And where do you really feel that the patients are not uh, getting the care that you would like to deliver? And so in that regard, you're, you're dealing with quality improvement. And then once you embark on an instructional design of what would be the intervention It may be a knowledge gap, but there are other areas of competency and other systems areas that may lead to improvement. Uh, Then the things that you uh, encounter are the knowledge uh, translation uh, barriers and the knowledge translation dimensions that you have to address in order to get there. So that's something that I don't want to burden the day-to-day clinician with. That's why we have resources either through facilitated networks for clinicians or through in a system like partners, my office, where we can start to troubleshoot uh, what are the knowledge translation issues that will get you to your goal. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, produced in cooperation with the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. And my guest today is Dr. Robert Birnbaum. So, Bob, another stakeholder in that system is the patient. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you see a role for that patient in knowledge translation or just quality improvement in general? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the basic principles of implementation science, and that's another term that's commonly used, is you know what would lead to you know successful impact and fidelity for what it is that you're trying to achieve is canvassing the stakeholders that are involved, and meaning a 360-degree canvassing of the stakeholders who are involved, because they often are going to give you very valuable insights that you won't have if you're just talking to the doctor, just talking to the nurse, just talking to the pharmacist. And and so in the uh, Affordability Care Act and a lot of what's going on in comparative effectiveness research and is looking at the patient at the very beginning uh, and asking the patient to be a participant, to have buy-in into their own care. And there are many ways to incentivize the patient. I think you're referring to an absolutely critical point to the NCQA in looking at primary care practice transformation now, what's called the patient-centered medical home, is increasingly requiring for certification patient involvement. And so it is now a benchmark for meaningful use of an electronic medical record system that the patient be able to access their medical record also, and that there's a whole field now of what's called shared decision-making so that there can be a collaborative effort on the part of the patients, their families, and the healthcare providers to decide what's the most appropriate course of treatment. That's interesting, kind of the participatory medicine side for the patient. Are you seeing more of that? Do you have some evidence that's come out of what you all have put together from Partners in Healthcare in terms of educational design that does bring the patient in more? Yeah, absolutely. And sort of the thread through this is that Partners is a pioneering accountable care organization, an ACO under the Affordability Care Act. We have a whole division now of population management. And that population management division actually has a whole sector which is devoted to patient engagement, like shared decision-making. But what it really means is that if you're going to increase the quality of what's being delivered and at the same time bend the cost curve, because it's not sustainable in the American healthcare system what we're spending on on healthcare or the returns that we're getting for what we're spending. So if you're going to bend the cost curve and you're going to increase quality and you have to deal with populations of people. You have to, A, have team-based education, so that's interdisciplinary and interprofessional education, so that you really are addressing how the new models of healthcare are evolving, and you have to involve the patient. And and again, technology plays a role here because there is the digital self. Uh, It seems like almost everyone is now wearing some sort of device to improve their health and well-being for exercise or diet or nutrition. And there is home hospital and sort of stratifying care. And and so more and more is being shifted both within the team to multidisciplinary and interprofessional people within the team, healthcare providers, but also are being shifted to the patient so that they can manage their own care and their families can manage their own care. You know, it does sound like an exciting horizon out there. And you are very much our listener. You're a physician, you're an educator. So what can we all expect to see, say, five years out? What differences do you want to see on the uh, healthcare system? Um, I am a clinician, and I still see patients. And I have a fairly large caseload in addition to being an, an executive and an administrator here at Partners. Uh, and so I'm very interested in both sides of this equation. And, and, and I do see that if we allow everyone in the healthcare field to practice to the maximum of their licensure, 
and we really look at new models of care, this is a time that should be really, I think, embraced as a time of opportunity and not of threat to different uh, sectors of the healthcare uh, profession. Um, and part of why the Alliance is part of this you know, whole series and, and the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions is an organization uh, that has representatives and constituencies from uh, all of these different sectors within healthcare. Um, so I see new models. I see people practicing more and more as teams. I see more and more patient input. Uh, I see better and better data systems. I mean, the reason why I went into medicine obviously was driven, mission-driven to improve healthcare and to help patients. And uh, so much of what's gone on is, you know, uh, healthcare providers feeling besieged because they're drowning in paperwork and they feel that most of it is a punch list that doesn't relate truly to improving care. And, and I think that's a phase. I think that's a phase that we're getting through as we get our sea legs. And that once we get through that, and as we are getting through that, I think people will be experiencing uh, just much more of what drove them into healthcare in the first place, which is a relationship with the patient and with the team members and a whole environment of care where they can see data in real time that shows uh, improvement. So where can our listeners go to learn more about it? Any resources that you might recommend? Our website for the Continuing Professional Development Office at Partners Healthcare is partners.org forward slash CPD, Continuing Professional Development. Um, the Journal for the Alliance, which is the Journal of Continuing Education in the Health Professions, JSEP, uh, has a whole supplement on maintenance of certification. Uh, maintenance of certification has had a uh, significant amount of uh, discussion within the field as to whether it is meaningful, does it actually improve care. A lot of practitioners in different boards consider it burdensome. And so Richard Hawkins, who's the head of the American Board of uh, Medical Specialties, the ABMS, uh, is a big contributor to that supplement on JSEP. Uh, and that whole supplement is on maintenance of certification. So I think those are kind of resources that people may want to know about. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and I want to thank our guest, Dr. Robert Birnbaum, for his insights. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me today, Alicia. I appreciate it. To access this and other interviews in the Lifelong Learning Series, please visit ReachMD.com or download the podcast on your ReachMD mobile app. Thanks for listening.